Now we will have our first message today by Mr. David Hope. The title, the title is The Majority is Not Always Right. Thank you, Mr. Young McGarvey, or Young Mr. McGarvey. It's always good to see our young people participate. We know what to look forward to. Good afternoon, everyone. It's a pleasure seeing our, everyone here today. Well, we've had some toad stranglers, haven't we, this week? I hope your place is not like mine. My house was built, I think, on a landfill or something 40-some years ago, and it's just like an accordion, depending on the the dry or wet seasons and I'll go in and I'll patch up seams and, and sheetrock over the doors and rearrange doors and everything, make them shut, put hinges, I mean not hinges, but and all I have to do is just wait and they'll go back where they were. I had several of them where they were working real good. My office door wouldn't even hardly shut all the way. Now it goes really good. But with all this toad strangling rain we have, I don't know what to expect. But I love Oklahoma. You know, while thinking about this message, you know, I wanted to try to get something that would still be in season, you know, with the Passover and Pentecost coming up. And while doing that, I was thinking about all of our holy days and how privileged we are to understand these things and to, to realize that the plan of God is really uh, laid out in the, the holy days when we understand it, or at least the way we, we look at it. So uh, it's, it's really a blessing to do that. Do you know, the, most of the world, or a big part of the world, believe that the majority is correct. Most of the time, you know, and you think, well, if I go with the majority, I'll, you know, I'll be okay. And my father was a big proponent of that even though in his younger days he didn't go to church, but he was a good man. But uh, if I'd try to say something about the Sabbath, you know, and, and uh, Sunday, well, his reply was, well, I can just go along with the majority. They can't be wrong, you know. And it's almost like saying, well, so many such and such people smoke Winston. They can't be wrong. Anyway, but, uh, but when he would say that, he implied basically, I think, that he really didn't want to argue about it. He didn't want to stand to reason, you know, the majority is right. And advertisers, salespeople, try to sell to you because of the way the majority is. You know, this is our best seller. This is really a good thing. And I know several years ago, Brandon and I were looking for a new car back in the 80s. And, and we'd never had a brand spanking new car, you know, zero odometer miles and all that. And we decided we wanted one. And she'd wanted for a long time uh, a, a Pontiac 6000 LE. And uh, I'd already had a couple of new work vans, but we never had a family car. It was brand new, year old, but not. But the salespeople kept trying to get us to purchase the Grand Am. You know, we wanted a 6000 LE. And he kept saying, this is our most popular brand. This is the one people like, and here are the reasons. I told him, I, we don't care what everybody likes. You know, we like such and such. And I would even take a tape measure out there and I would measure the back seat, you know, the, the distance, the, the knee, knee and foot range on it. 
in the front seat. I'd measured the back and measured the trunk space and figured the cubic feet that it would hold and things like that. And we wanted the 6,000 LE. I don't care what everybody else, the majority, want. And uh, we got it. And Fran even got a bonus on it. We even, uh, Becky and I went out one night and Fran uh, was doing something. And we, we finally picked out one that she wanted but it had a sunroof on it. We, I called it a moonroof. They call them moonroofs now, but it, back then it was a sunroof. But anyway, uh, but you know, a lot of times even large crowds can be wrong. And statistics show if you're in a, a large crowd and you have a heart attack or you could fall over, you're better, you would be better off with just a real small group of people because everybody thinks, well, they gotta be okay, you know, or somebody would be doing something about it. So anyway, so big crowds can be wrong. It's been proven too that even people in big supermarkets or shopping malls or uh, congested places and a catastrophe come up, you know, a shooting or something, and a lot of times the majority will go the wrong way. You may be in a particular situation where it's easier, safer to get out. But someone goes in this direction, somebody else says, oh, they must be right, and then a whole bunch of other people go. So the majority is not always right in society. There was even a, a test run years ago, I think in psychology class I was taking, they, um, people wanted to be right so much, and there was this one test, and, and it was a loaded situation where they, people were in a small meeting, you know, 10, 15, 20 people, and an emergency came up, you know, a crisis situation came up, you know, I don't remember now if it was a robbery or, or whatever, you know, and, uh, but anyway, later they asked the people what, what the person looked like, and the person was actually right, two or three people were actually right, but the majority of the people, which was a fixed audience, and they were, it was, a, you know, it was staged, and they said, well, he had a yellow shirt or this or that or had a beer or whatever. But anyway, it was strong enough that the, the, the two or three of the people changed their opinion and they had, you know, first-hand view simply because of the majority. The majority was right and they, well, I must be wrong. So a lot of times uh, we face that ourselves. But before I get too self-righteous about what I'm going to say, and, and I've said this in the time before too, you know how blessed we are and, and the truth and understanding we have and how different we are in our belief system than so many people in the world. You know, so many of the majority of the churches are so much different than us. And, and if you think I'm trying to get self-righteous and on the high horse, I, I apologize for that because I realize and I understand, and I think you do too, that we have the understanding we have, not because we're so smart, maybe you are, but, but not because I'm so smart, but because God has opened our minds to that. God has opened our minds. And I think the older I get and the more I'm around people, young and old alike, the more I am convinced <laughs> God has to give you this understanding, even though it's so simple but God has to give it to or, or the people are just not going to get it. I mean, it's just like, and if God, and I, I don't mean this in a negative way, if God's in the, the mode he wants to save somebody and convert somebody, you know, he can use you to do that even though he's never done it before, 
or me, he can do that. And Paul realized that. But but I don't I don't mean to say that we're just so great because we have that understanding. But when we do it is so simple. It is so simple and, and thank God. You know, God opens our mind and unconverse to that, Satan blinds the world. Satan has blinded the world. And there's so many scriptures I could use on both sides of the fence. I'm not going to use, I'll use, use one for each one, but I'm not going to go into it because those are messages all their own. But when um, God opens your mind, just here's one small verse in John 6, verse 43 and 44. And in fact, I think I even, some of you may remember, I think at the feast, you know, and I have a tendency of, if I have a good point, I wear it out, you know, I'll, I'll use it every, every, every once in a while. And it's just as good now as it was, you know, back then. But at verse 43, getting into the subject. Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And of course, there's a sermon all on that too, you know, about the resurrection, just all kinds of things. But, uh, and I made mention that that word, and I didn't even write it down here what it means, uh, you know, the Greek word of it, but it, it, it has a connotation of drag, you know. It wasn't, you know, God calls and God draws us. It has the connotation, and I'm really putting out some effort, you know. And you look it up yourself in the Strong, it it's, has a connotation of drag. Some of you may remember that. And converse to that, Second Corinthians 4, verse 3 and 4, that Satan blinds, and there are a lot of scriptures that can go along with that also that I won't cover. Second Corinthians 4, verse 3, if our gospel is hid, and sometimes what we have is hid, it is hid to them that are lost, and I don't mean that in a vain way, as I said, and whom the God of this world, and who's the God of this world, and we have scriptures that show who the God of this world is, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. This is deliberate, they're blinded. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine to them. And like I said a while ago, there are so many, I'll, I'll just mention just, just a few in passing. I'll, I'll get into a little bit of it as I go along, but just basically, to, uh, give a little bit of a diversion of, of us and the differentiation between us and some of the others. Take the Easter Passover situation. You know, there's a difference in, in our belief in, in the Passover and Easter. I was at a, uh, right there in the middle of the Days of Unleavened Bread, almost two weeks ago, uh, I had went to a dentist office and had some major work done, and going back to the table back there where they extract on you and whatever they do uh, the young lady is real enthusiastic and she says oh did you have a wonderful Easter and boy I put cold water on her head and I said no I really didn't and I didn't really mean to you know to put her down and before we got back to sit down in the chair I said I keep Passover she says oh well, what's the difference and you know and I'm, I'm trying to learn to be very uh, sharp and 
clear and succinct. I think they teach that in some of the speech classes, don't they, Doyle, to be to, uh, you know, try to keep your answers as short as you can. Even in sales, they try to teach you to uh, elevator answers, you know, time it takes you to, the old elevators, I guess, to get up to the 10th floor that you tell a presentation about your product or service. But anyway, she said, well, what is that? I said, well, uh, and you would have probably done it more and, or better. Uh, and I said, well, Passover was the original. Easter is a perversion of that. I said, they've added a lot of paganism to it. And uh, I didn't, I, I, I'm not used to doing that. So, and I, and I really could have went on a little more. And maybe in some ways I wish I'd been smart enough to go on. And thinking about it, maybe I'll prepare my mind a little bit to, you know, give some answers. And uh, something else, just a few days ago, somebody asked something. Anyway, I, I did come. But uh, what about Christmas? You know, we, we don't do Christmas. We believe in it because we know what they do. We, I mean, we don't say, I don't believe Christmas. I don't believe anybody keeps Christmas. But we know they do. We just don't do it. And we know where it came from. We have scriptures to back up our belief on that. And just a little bit on, to uh, say, the heaven-hell doctrine. You know, most churches, the majority, I think, of the, the so-called Christian churches uh, have a, an overall doctrine of when you die, uh, you're either going to go directly to hell and burn forever, or you're going to be transported to heaven. And some of them will have to try to explain, well, okay, well, what about this, you know, but they still have the attitude and idea that, you know, when you die, you're, 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 you're going to go to heaven or hell, you know, whether it's immediate or whether it's after judgment or purgatory or whatever. But we understand that. And, and that was one of the things that, I don't know, maybe it caught your attention too, but back years ago, uh, back in what, early 60s, I guess, Fran and I were listening to uh, Paul Harvey, Garner Ted Armstrong, and Herbert W. Armstrong on radio we didn't have a TV, but it, it was on, uh, and we thought they were all the same person at, at one time, you know, because their voices, you know, were big barrel voices, and and it took us a while to, you know, after repeated times off and on, we didn't really like listen to it every day, but uh, we began to uh, find out that well, these are three different people here, but uh, anyway, but we got to where we were putting confidence in. Herbert Armstrong and Garner Ted because they, they had answers, you know, they'd say, don't believe me, believe the Bible, and don't believe what the majority of you have been taught, so we would look at that, and even Paul Harvey, even though he wasn't necessarily religious in that respect, but uh, we respected him too, and I liked him, and you know, he was a Tulsa boy, he grew up in Tulsa, and, uh, but the thing that really got us, really, I guess, hooked was the fact that they had an article on hell, Hellfire, do, do, you, do you burn in hell? Do babies burn in hell and all that? And Fran said, and you don't see was a good Baptist. And I, I was a free will Baptist. I just wasn't a good one. But, uh, but anyway, but she said, I'm going to get him on that. You know, he's not as smart as he thinks he is. And I'm going to write in for that article or that booklet. And uh, if they don't believe in a hell and, you know, going and burning all that, says, I know he's a false prophet. Well, you know, what do you do when they come up and have the truth, you know, and they have all the scriptures that go with it? And I think most of you have, have experienced that. You know, we know, we understand the truth about that. And we understand the truth about the resurrection. And we've had 
messages over the years, and we have them every year too. And you know, in First Corinthians 15, and and so many other places, you know, the resurrection and and the immortal, you know, the it, it's just on and on. And uh, let me see. Let me slow down a little bit. And we have the the doctrine, and I mentioned this a while ago about Sabbath and Sunday. You know the. Uh, Sabbath being slid, as you'd say, or or or, or so-called Jesus substituted because of his resurrection, all that you know. Now they do Sunday, and and uh, and that's what the majority of the world believes, the Christian world. Now there's some pretty good size. Uh, I mean, Seventh-day Adventists, you know, throughout the world, and I don't know how much how many people they have, but there are a lot of people, but they're small compared to the regular Protestant and Catholic churches. And uh, anyway, those, these are messages, and I've, I've covered these, and I've ranted and raved about it. And uh, we, we know the scriptures that they use. We know the scriptures that they uh, take out of context and pervert. I'm getting a little bit ahead of my notes, I think. I like to do like some of their young men. They don't even need notes. Well, they can get up here and they can talk all day and never get lost. And they they stay congruent. They can walk around out here, you know, and loosen up. And and uh, but I stay up here and get tired. Not tired, but stiff. But anyway, if I don't at least stay with the outline, I get lost. And and uh, but uh, and I really appreciate our a lot of our uh, younger men. Anyway. And Steve's younger than I am too, so he can be included in that. Don't, don't, not uh, putting down our older men. But anyway, um, but let me, I'm backtracking a little bit, and it'll, it'll all fit in. But uh, I've got a, just a line down here written just to remind me of something. I probably would personally have a problem, and I don't, under, and I don't, don't fault so many of the people in the other churches for uh, being confused on the matter. I probably would be confused too about the resurrection not being on uh, the weekday of Friday. Now, whenever the resurrection comes, you know, I would have a problem even putting these two together. You know, we've, we've talked about this many times, the three days and three nights and and but the way it is written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the way they are written, if we if you didn't know, if we didn't know, or if I don't know, maybe you would have known, but there's no way I would have known that it wasn't the way the the majority of the churches teach. It's not that way. But we know that there was a high day and, and, and the one scripture that, that I think brought it out closer to me after I've been in the church was, uh, I think it's in John 19. And I'll just read you as we're breaking into it. John 19, verse 31. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, and, you know, and, and the other, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, they, they say similar things too. But John says, for that Sabbath day was a high day. Now that's the key that, that I didn't know and didn't understand. It's a high day. 
besought Pilate that their legs might be broken that they might be taken away. And so many of the commentaries, if you want to read the commentaries, Bible commentaries, they will further confuse you. Now there may be some that, uh, that, that aren't that way. Some of them may know the truth. I don't know that I've found one myself on my two or three computers that, that I have that has the several commentaries and I know a lot of you have laptops and all that, that that have that on there and they tell you the very same thing. Well, no, not the very same thing. They tell you their biggest reason for that, that day, that Sabbath was a high day. Their reasoning is they recognize that there's a, uh, the holy days, annual holy days during the Passover, but it coincides with the Sabbath day. And that's what it did this year, wasn't it? And on Saturday was the high day. And uh, uh, they said, that makes it the high day. But it's still on a Friday. But most of you under understand. If I brought two or three of you up here and said to explain this, most of you could do that. Most of you have been around here for a while could do that. Couldn't you, Chuck? Anyway, <laughs> anyway, you could, you could say, hey, well, Jesus was, was, was uh, uh, the Passover, and, and Lawrence made comment many a times over the years. You can check with the Naval Observatory or something, go back in, in history and find out exactly what day of the week the Passover was, the day, the year that Jesus was, was uh, crucified. And he died on a Wednesday evening putting in the grave on a Wednesday evening, and that was the preparation day for the Thursday high day. And then you had a rest day on Friday, which was another preparation day, and then you had the Sabbath. We know that and understand that, but if we didn't understand it, didn't understand the holy days and, and how that plan works, I would be lost. I would just say, I don't know, I'd be like the Muslims, you know, and, and the Islam, well, you can't trust that Christian religion because they're controversies, they don't make sense, you know, and, and you know, and a lot of the stuff, the false stuff that we, we, we know, <coughs> excuse me, and understand is false, uh, the uh, Islam religion are capitalizing on the faults of mainstream Christianity. And that's why, <coughs> excuse me, that's why we need to know and understand the truth and some of the scriptures, and that's why I think sometimes we, we go back into it, and, and like Steve and I were talking earlier, that you know sometimes we do repeat certain things that we said, and, and we don't necessarily like to, but you know some things we need to have repeated. We need to have her ingrained, and, and if you're slow like I am, you know I don't have a photostatic memory, and even the, the carbon copy memory I had, you know, <laughs> kind of like the Oetis sketch, you know, you. You, you know, and this stuff is gone. I need to be re rehearsed on some of these things. <sighs> Boy. Anyway, but you know, the Jews, uh, so anyway, we know that and we understand that, and, and I'm appreciated the fact that God has been merciful to us to give us that understanding. You know, the Jews even knew, and, and this is back. Uh, off of that particular thing, it's not on a Passover, but it's on uh, the heaven-hell thing, and, and uh, maybe just a little helter-skelter, but the principle, the points are there. The Jews knew that the kingdom of God was supposed to be here on earth. 
You know, they didn't ask Jesus, you know, uh, are you going to go to heaven now and we're going to have the kingdom of God and, and rule in heaven? You know, they didn't do that. You know, they knew and just, uh, I'm just picking out one verse. Um, in Acts, well, actually a few verses, but uh, Acts, first chapter, and then time's sake, I'm not going to read all of it. I'll read uh, chapter 1, verse 6 through 11, and where Jesus was given his last instruction, you know, just before he was ascended. And one of the things that, uh, well, that's another subject I thought about giving to you about the wave sheaf offering and, you know, coming into Pentecost and all that, but this just kind of had took preeminence in my mind. And when they, therefore, were come together, they asked him, Jesus, you know, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of God to Israel? And he said to them, no, it's going to be in heaven. It's not going to be here. Didn't say that, did he? And he said to them, you know, the Jews were expecting the kingdom of God to be set here on earth. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the time and the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power. And he's telling them to stay around to the Pentecost. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to other most parts of the earth. You know. And when he had spoken these things, while, he be, while they beheld he was taken up into the cloud. So Jesus did, you know, he did go up, you know, and he'd been here already for, had been seen of him, you know, for about 40 days. Even 500 people at one time had seen Jesus alive. And there were witnesses of that. And anyway, he was taken up into the cloud. Oh, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, he went up, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. And most of us think that these were angels, which said, You men of Galilee, why stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. So they're implying he's coming back to earth. And we know other scriptures too, you know, after the. First uh, Corinthians 15, you know, when we meet him in heaven and, and, the, uh, and some of the other scriptures, you know, when we meet uh, Jesus in heaven in Malachi where we'll, his feet in that day will be on the Mount of Olives and we're going to reign and all that. And I guess uh, run over real quickly to Revelation 20th chapter. I got to wind down here pretty quick. I didn't have that written down, so I'm going to have to come over into the the real word of God, the Bible, and find that one. I did that to give me time to catch up on my breathing. Actually, I'm getting stingy. I want to save on ink. Revelation 20 and verse 1 through 9. And I could read more, but I won't. Uh, 1 through 9. And I... And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him to the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and sealed, set a seal upon him, that he should not deceive the nations here on earth. And we know that Jesus has already come back at that time. 
until a thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loose for a little season. And most of us realize that that's probably during the uh, uh, Great White Throne Judgment time period with the millions of people that come up. And, uh, or after that, anyway, put it, I'm sorry. And I saw thrones, and they had set upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and the word of God, and had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. We were doing that in, in, uh, on the earth. In verse 5, But the rest of the dead lived not again, you know, so the rest of the dead still going to live until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Uh, blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And I'm not going to go ahead and read the rest of it. I'm getting a little bit short on time, and I already skipped out a little bit. But uh, we understand that we're going to be here on earth. Actually, I had my other notes, 9 and 10, so I read a lot. I didn't need to go. Uh, the final, I think this is my final scripture here, 1 Corinthians uh, 2, verse 9 and 10. And this just, you know, it's just an awe, and so many people don't understand this, but as it is written... I has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which have God has prepared for them that love him. Now that was before God opened their minds. You know, mankind did not, could not perceive, did not understand even then, but God has revealed them. God has revealed them to us by his spirit. Well, the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. So we can't, so I, I shouldn't get vain and arrogant about what I know, what I understand. I can speak with power and authority in the fact that the things that I know, you know, we have proved so many of these things over and over and over again. And, uh, but anyway, God's truth. But we should be deeply humbled. You know, we should be deeply humbled. When we look at so many people that, that don't have the understanding that we have. They don't have that. It's such a blessing that God gave to each and every one of us. You know, and I know people that, that have lost, and you do too, have lost people close to them, you know, and they're grieving over them, and they're little kids out here, and uh, they say, well, mommy or so-and-so or little sisters up in heaven looking down on us, you know. Well, that's a comforting feeling. You know, sometimes when you're in that situation, I've been there in years past, I, I, that would be a comforting feeling to think that they're up there watching, you know, and they'd want us to walk the right way. That's a good motive. But on the other hand, I've seen people too says, I want to go and be with so-and-so. I want to be with Aunt Martha. You know, this life is too rough for me. I want to be with them. So that's, that's the converse to, to the, the thing on that. And we know it's not true, and we know... The scriptures that go along with that. The dead know not anything. You know, David's dead and buried, and David was a righteous man. David's going to be a king over Israel. And David wasn't up there when Jesus' time, when he was talking about it. So we understand these things, and it's such a blessing to understand that, and that's kind of uh, 
where I went rather than just getting into something, you know, specifically about the time period that we're in right now, about the holy days, you know, Pentecost and all that. And we still have time to get into those subjects too, and I know we will. But to have this understanding, and it, it, it helps us tremendously. And I thank God that I even have brethren like you here to share that with me and to give me the encouragement that I need at times. 